Welcome to 7-Minute Explainers. I'm Shikha Dalmia, a columnist at The Week, and I'd like to explain the connection between today's pro-immigration activists and 19th century abolitionists. We're going to build a wall. It's going to be built. In his first few months as president, Donald Trump has chipped heartily away at his anti-immigration campaign promises. U.S. immigration officials are reportedly stepping up efforts to round up people who are in the country illegally. In a series of raids this week, authorities arrested dozens and dozens of undocumented... His agenda is harsh and may well set the stage for a moral showdown, not unlike the one America saw in the run-up to the Civil War. Back then, a renewed crackdown against fugitive slaves generated a massive abolitionist backlash that ultimately ended slavery. Of course, slavery and illegal immigration are not the same. What they have in common is something called the rule of law argument, though. In the 19th century, this was made to forcibly return fugitive slaves to bondage. And now, that same argument is being made to forcibly return undocumented workers to their home countries, resulting in an escalating and paradoxically an ever more lawless use of state violence. Consider the history. Four years after the US Constitution effectively enshrined slavery, Washington passed the first Fugitive Slave Act, granting slave owners a right to recover their property. But by the beginning of the 19th century, free northern states like Pennsylvania didn't want any part in this inhumane practice. They started passing laws barring slaves from being removed from their territory. In 1840, this was finally challenged in the Supreme Court in the Prigg versus Pennsylvania ruling. But the ruling was mixed. Since federal law superseded state law on this issue, the court ruled, Pennsylvania could not stop Uncle Sam from hauling slaves away. But the federal government couldn't force the states to assist its removal efforts either, making northern free states a sort of predecessor to our modern-day sanctuary cities. Fast forward eight years. In 1850, the feds passed the Fugitive Slave Act, ramping up enforcement against fleeing slaves. The law criminalized harboring or assisting fugitives. It offered monetary rewards to private citizens who assisted in capturing runaways and appointed special magistrates expressly to issue search and arrest warrants. This outraged northern states, who responded through subversion, tightening personal liberty laws that barred local authorities from cooperating with the feds. These personal liberty laws allowed freed slaves and white abolitionists to create routes to cross the Mason-Dixon line to the north, where a vast network of safe houses, underground railroads, cropped up to shelter runaways. All of these actions undermined the moral authority of slavery. And this tug-of-war between local jurisdictions and the federal government paved the way for the Civil War. Today, a similar dynamic is unfolding between the federal government hunting down undocumented immigrants 
and the local governments trying to protect them. The mayors of some of the nation's biggest sanctuary cities that include New York City, Boston, Chicago, and San Francisco are vowing to fight the order and remain a safe haven. Four states and some 300 cities and municipalities have declared themselves sanctuary areas. The stroke of a pen in Washington does not change the people of New York City or our values. We will not be intimidated by the threat to federal funding. What that basically means is that these jurisdictions cannot prevent the feds from hunting down undocumented immigrants from deportation, but they don't assist these efforts either, just like the personal liberty states during slavery. California, a sanctuary state, has already won the first round in its legal challenge against the Trump executive order seeking to defund it. Institutions are finding other ways to fight back as well, like St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas, where the congregation is building an underground network of houses where undocumented and mixed-status families can live in hiding. All of this means that the Trump administration will encounter massive resistance as it ramps up enforcement. And overcoming it will require ever harsher tactics that will underscore the odiousness of the enforcement regime. Restrictionists insist that leaving undocumented immigrants alone violates the sanctity of the rule of law. But enforcing that rule is to unleash unlawful state actions on crimes without any victims. That's why restrictionists go to great lengths to depict undocumented workers as criminals even though the reality is the exact opposite. But such blatant attempts at moral inversion will inevitably collapse. It's what's known as the Huckleberry Finn problem. Huck Finn, in Mark Twain's novel, could not bear to turn in Jim a fugitive slave, even though he believed that freeing black men was a sin against both man's and God's law that would surely earn him a ticket to help. But Jim hadn't hurt anyone, and Huck ultimately couldn't find it in his heart to betray a good fellow whose only sin was to try and improve his lot. And that does it for this episode of 7-Minute Explainers. Look out for new episodes every Thursday on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And as a thank you for listening to this episode, we'd like to offer you four totally free non-commitment issues of The Week magazine. To get those, visit theweek.com slash four free. Mm-hmm.